and thanks for tuning in to episode 32 of On Man Uncovered. This is your host, Stephen Gloss, drone subject matter expert, consultant, content creator, and instructor for consorting, an organization purpose to help you and your organization fly drones safely with training and software. This podcast series sets out to seek interesting profiles within the drone industry and discover unique viewpoints on industry developments and contributions. With me on today's show is Charles Werner. He's a retired fire chief for the city of Charlottesville, Virginia, and now serves as the director of Drone Responders Public Safety Alliance, a nonprofit program created to unite aerial first responders, emergency managers, and search and rescue specialists under a unified organization to help them learn, train, and test with one another with the ultimate objective of maximizing drone operations for public safety. He's also the chair for the National Council on Public Safety and a chair on the Virginia Secure and Resilient Commonwealth UAS sub-panel. Today, we'll seek to uncover just how drones are making an impact on the public safety sector and how Charles has managed to create a thriving nonprofit drone organization. Charles Werner, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Stephen, it's great to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. First off, I want to thank you for your service as a fire chief. I I personally don't think enough credit goes out to the first responders who serve their local communities as public safety officials. So thank you. And with that, I'd like to start off by learning more about your journey as a fire chief for the city of Charlottesville and how that eventually transitioned you to where you are today and your involvement with drones. So were you set on working within a fire department early on in your life? And what was your initial motivation for wanting to serve within that capacity? Well, my, my first inkling in public safety at an interest level came, uh, my interest was actually to be a police officer. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> uh, and for those who are too old to remember, there were shows like Adam 12 that were on TV and kind of influenced my thought process. But then uh, emergency came along and then I was interested in being a paramedic. And then as I was going through my career opportunities that came forward, I I went into a structure firefighting situation in a training session and came out and said, okay, I think that's what I want to do. I was also surrounded by fire service people in my family. My father was a volunteer firefighter. My uncle was the career fire chief in Harrisonburg, Virginia. My cousin was a firefighter. My other uncle was an assistant fire chief for a different organization. So it was kind of there. That led me into being in the fire service uh, for a career with the Charlottesville Fire Department for 37 years. Wow. And and along the way, I was really involved with technology-related things. So I had worked on thermal image cameras. I had worked and became a Novell network administrator to oversee our separate computer network. Uh, got into hearing protection, uh, got into technology in the communications area, interoperability, uh, served at the local, state, and national level on s- several different work groups to help move public safety forward in a number of different technology areas. And that kind of led me into the drone world as I was retiring. Uh, actually, the last year of my time with the department, I had gone and became a drone hobbyist to explore were drones ready for public safety. Okay. So what was your what was your first encounter with the drone then? Was it in a public safety setting or just as a hobbyist? Well, I was I was starting to see some of the early adopters come out and reading stories. So that kind of got my interest peaked. And then I went and became a hobbyist first because I wanted to determine was it right for public safety? In other words, would it provide the visual detail that we would look for? Was it easy to operate? Uh, and those kind of things. And so once 
once I tried it, uh, started with a DJI Phantom 3 Advanced, started to see the high resolution that came off of the of the, the video streaming and the imagery, as well as the GPS capabilities of kind of kind of maintaining itself, um, really showed me that we were there. Uh, then I ran into regulations. Okay, yeah. So this was pretty much right before you, I guess, you retired as the fire chief. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. In fact, we had purchased. Uh, a drone and finally got through Charlottesville, believe it or not, had become the first no drone city in the country back in 2015, 2014. And so there was a moratorium. Uh, I had always thought that we weren't able to move forward, only to learn later there was actually a clause in there that said for public safety or search and rescue uses, it could be used, but I didn't know it until later. Okay. So I'm, I'm assuming you didn't have the chance then to initiate drones within Charlottesville fire response teams. No, we, we didn't get a chance to do that. Uh, again, the, the regulatory side of things was still kind of stiff. It wasn't until 2016 when, when you know those regulations changed. Right. Where I, where I got my first chance to, to help out with getting a drone program started is I'm also a member of the Admiral County Sheriff's Search and Rescue Team and helped to get their U, UAS team uh, off the ground. I went and actually made the presentation to the Board of Supervisors on the drones for good a story and got a unanimous support to move forward with drones for search and rescue for the sheriff's office. And then uh, after retirement, I went to the Virginia Department of Emergency Management for two years and served as a senior advisor and acting deputy state coordinator, where I also helped to work with people at VDEM to um, initiate their drone program, which is now in place. And there's actually a drone in every region of the um, Commonwealth of Virginia through the Virginia Department of Emergency Management as we uh, we did uh, training of our hazmat officers to be remote pilots. Well, that's absolutely amazing. It's it's it seems like even though you were, you were retired as a fire chief, you still found that sort of back way, that door entry to still get your your goals accomplished, which is is cre- gives credence and evidence to the passion you have for drones within public safety. And then I became uh, so I started calling around to different places around the country as I was seeing the news stories come out about public safety using them. A success story in Orange County, California, and I called and talked to the Marine Chief and said, "Hey, can you tell me about your drone program?" And his first response to me was, "You're not with the FAA, are you?" <laughs> and I said, "Okay, I think you answered my first question. That means you don't have a COA." He said, "No, we didn't need to have one. We're in the process of doing that now, which they've since followed through with." I saw a story in Minneapolis about hazmat operations flying over and monitoring a hazmat situation. Called Minneapolis and talked to them, and basically they said, um, "Yeah, we're having great success. We're getting ready to give out seven grant awards. Uh, they weren't aware of the regulations either, so I was able to send them a packet of information to say, here's here's the stuff to do to keep you on the on the straight track and keep everybody else flying legally and safely. So the, all these new stories were coming up and and you know it, it was unintentionally, I became a subject matter expert on drones. Uh, I also am an FAA cer- certificated Part 107 uh, remote pilot in charge, and so I went and did all these things. And then the National Fire Protection Association contacted me and asked me if I would serve as the chair of the NFPA 2400 committee, which is the committee on public safety UAS, to set us to standards for for a multi standard. This was actually the first multi multi discipline standard ever created by the National Fire Protection Association, which is now out and published. So that while there, it was coming and talking with people of like minds across the country of this great need. I worked to start the National Council on Public Safety UAS, which now has 30 national organizations uh, on it to, to help move things at a higher level and advance public safety UAS. But as I traveled around the country, I started seeing as the programs were developing, there still wasn't this connectivity. There wasn't a grassroots effort to communicate with and between each other, and thus the reason for the beginning of drone responders. 
So that was that was essentially the inspiration then, right? Yes, that's exactly right. So when exactly did you start Drone Responders and how were you able to make that amazing vision become a reality? Uh, well, it was really talking to people who had like minds. Uh, I talked with a number of people around the country and, and kind of just tested the waters to see what that would look like. And people said, yeah, this, is, this would be really great. And then it was a number of people that I'm working with that um, Christopher Todd with the Airborne International Response Team in Florida. He's kind of my my backbone, and my support guy who has a background in technology and uh, also is, has a team that flies internationally. In fact, he, he just got back from the Bahamas. Uh, yesterday where he flew some of the most terrific uh, scenery that you can imagine. And then it was uh, a lot of people that wanted to get on board and join. We have 48 uh, members on our board of advisors, which are some of the most impressive people across the country that are involved in this space. So we started in April of 2019. We now have over 600 members. We're seeing 20, about 20 people per day signing up to join. And we have people from 27 countries uh, so that's um, kind of where we when we started and where we are right now. But there's a lot of other things I can share with you what we're doing. Yeah. So what are some of the projects and events that Drone Responders has been involved with? And what all does the organization do? That might be hard to answer. It sounds like there's a lot of facets here. Well, you know, one of the first things that we did uh, very quickly was to put up our resource center. So if you go to droneresponders.org, you have to join drone responders to get access to it, but it's free. And that resource center has the largest collection of public safety U.S. supporting documents uh, anywhere. Uh, Over 300 documents, which are SOPs, best practices, training programs, uh, policy manuals, uh, checklists, task books, you name it, it's there from just about every organization that I've been able to contact so far. We've had lots of luck with that. Um, The second thing is we started was our technical expert program, which we now have 100 uh, technical experts from across the country that are involved to be able to uh, share information, to take part in the discussion forum, and uh, and to be mentors as well as uh, be on panels and presenters around the country. And the more that we have that are involved, the more we can have people engaged in the regional areas that they're in because we know that's kind of where things happen. It's in the area where people are located. Not everybody can get away to conferences. Uh, so in the technical experts, what's kind of interesting we've done is we're trying to be inclusive in this, and we realize that the success is based on who do we have involved. So that includes all disciplines of public safety. It includes government agencies. It includes non-government organizations. It includes academia and industry. So in order to, to be involved with the technical expert program, you don't have to be in public safety because what we, we understand is that there are people that have expertise in GIS that aren't in public safety. Yeah, there are people that have experience in artificial intelligence or augmented reality. And so we want to capture all of that and give people an opportunity to integrate into the public safety alliance. And that's why it's called an alliance. It's really about uh, – connecting all the people in the ecosystem in a way that we can share the information that we all have. It's really amazing. So how exactly is Drone Responders run and managed then? Are you able to offer assistance across the country or even the globe for that matter? Is it like a a legion essentially of volunteers that are doing all this work? It is a legion of volunteers doing all this work, and uh, we're starting to see a lot of sponsors that are following us. In fact, we we had a a company the other day, uh, or actually companies that are interested in sponsoring us, and we had a a company tell us the other day, uh, you know, the word on the street is you guys are the guys to watch. And it's really because there's this community of like minds coming together to work on a, a cause that's bigger than any of us. Uh, to make something great happen. And, you know, you don't get to be involved in something like this at the very beginning. It's a kind of a new frontier to to pave the way 
and be out there. And then, um, you know, some of the other things that we're doing is because we have 27 countries, we're looking at uh, starting up an international advisory council just to listen to those people from the international communities to say, how can drone responders be helpful to you? Again, the other thing that we do is is we're getting ready to launch the discussion forum, which is an idea of how do we have technical experts in that monitor certain threads. And what's unique about our discussion forum is we're going to try to make topic threads that are relevant to the, the higher topic topics or issues of the day, what's happening at their COAs, uh, waivers, beyond visual line of sight, operations over people, what'd you do, how'd you get it, uh, or, or just comp contacts of people that are trying to learn more about uh, a program from someone else. We'll eventually be working into developing a directory that will be in place that people can go to, and then also a public safety U.S. marketplace. We, we're having conversations with a couple different national organizations about doing some STEM projects where we will integrate some STEM projects with middle school kids public safety to show drones for good and how they're used. And, and hopefully that will do a couple things like create some recruitment opportunities in the, in the public safety, especially law enforcement with everything that's going on these days, uh, as well as them looking at the technology and the drones and partic- particularly becoming uh, remote pilots and maybe going into that kind of career opportunity. Uh, the other thing we're doing is um, I just had a, a great conversation with uh, the CEO of Women and Drones, and we're going to be looking at creating a Women in Public Safety initiative to go in that, to build on those kind of things. So what I'm seeing happen is everybody's coming forward with ideas about how drone responders can help create these alliances, these opportunities. And uh, I'm one of those people that really look at it hard and you got to convince me not to do it before I won't try it. <laughs> it's just amazing. It's just from listening to you, I'm just blown away at everything that you have already been able to accomplish with drone responders. And it seems like it's more of a matter of not just public safety, but we've thrown around the term a few times. It's drones for good. And you're, you're really pushing forward a route for anybody to, to access the potential that drones can have for good within our society. So that's just that's incredible. It's, it's been uh, it's been remarkable. And, you know, it's been so positive and exciting that I'm actually going to Birmingham, England on the 16th to speak as a keynote speaker for the uh, UK Emergency Services Show, which is their largest show uh, in the UK. So it's it, like I said before, it's really taking off. Yeah, we're seeing a transformation right before our very eyes. I think people around obviously around the globe are really starting to get it, <laughs> what drones can do. Well, you know as well as I do that we had a perception issue early on with drones because the word drone was a connotation of military weapons surveillance, and and that was really one thing we had to get past. The other was regulations, and uh, and I think that after the hurricanes, uh, because I had been reaching out to a number of federal agencies prior to the hurricanes and saying, I need your help. We need to get them typed. We need to do some different things to make people aware of drones for good. And the focus really was totally on counter UAS. So it was really hard to make a change in, in that area. After the hurricanes occurred, and we, we literally had thousands of flights uh, that were intermingled with manned flights, it, it was a transformation that changed how people, the community, uh, the, the world saw drones. It was suddenly seen as showing us how bad is bad. It was helping us uh, understand immediate situational awareness, what roads are open or closed. And more importantly, it was, it was showing us people that might need rescues uh, or assistance. Uh, and, and now we're just seeing so much more of what drones are able to do that we've, we've finally gotten over the hump. And we're on a positive track, and there's a lot of things that are going to be accomplished. So I assume then that you are, your organization is very much involved with the Hurricane Dorian relief efforts? 
not so much the relief efforts. We've been involved with with doing some of the mapping. We did some of the coordination with Florida as far as uh, some pilots. Our, our goal in the, in the future would be that we can create some things that will help support uh, states knowing what what assets are available in different places. I mean, eventually we hope that there'll be a global directory that we can go in and people can utilize to initiate during disasters and, and those kind of things, as well as the normal operations that occur every day. That's awesome. Do you have any powerful stories or insights of how drones have made a significant difference during whether it be a fire emergency or some sort of emergency response? Can you recall any instances like that? Yeah. So I do a presentation on use cases. And I'll tell you a funny story. So last year when I did a story, I I went on the web and went to YouTube and found about six or seven videos that I could show examples of drones in in operation. This year, as I was putting together a presentation, and and I made a compilation of those videos, what I tried to do was do the same thing this year. And there were actually so many videos of different public safety use cases, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 25. Wow. (laughs) That, uh, that, uh, I couldn't put all the videos together and have enough time to show it in a presentation. So I actually took a, a screenshot of a picture of each one of the the videos to be able to use. And it's amazing. And so what, one, of, one of the things that, that, uh, that I do, this is kind of important, is I ask people in my presentations, would you ever put your personnel or citizens in harm's way unnecessarily? And then I go through the use cases and I and I said and I'll answer that question for you at the end. <laughs> and, and as they see the, the the presentation and the different use cases, you can see they're getting this aha moment. Uh, and I get to the end and said, now I know that you wouldn't put people in harm's way, your people or your your community in harm's way unnecessarily, but without seeing some of the hazards that exist that you don't know about, you're actually doing that. Wow. And then usually I have everybody come afterwards. But some specifics are – I'll give one example that's fantastic, and that is uh, Southern Manatee Fire and Rescue in Florida are using it for hazmat operations. And they've been working closely, and I give credit to DGA on this. Uh, they've been working with them to explore ways of using it during hazmat. So they're now able to use it with a meter to identify a substance. They can actually land in a certain place, cut the rotors off, and let it do remote sensing for them, and the camera is feeding back the information off of the of the meter. So we're, we're seeing that integration. But what's really important is they're able to do an assessment before to see what the chemical is, what the issue is, to understand what suit they need to wear and what equipment they need to take in. And on average, what they've shared with me is they have cut off an hour of preparation time by using drones. Yeah, that's incredible. And they're probably also optimizing you know, safety protocols with that too and risk management. And it also means that while they're in the operation, the drone can monitor their activity, where before you don't have anybody in the hot zone. So you could be a significant di- distance away as far as command or any observation. And then if you're in there working on it and you need a tool, in the past, someone in one of those big suits would have to go out to an area, a warm zone that we call it, and get a tool. Now the drone can actually come and drop the tool in a close proximity to where they're operating and keep that going forward. So that's one example. You know, one of the global examples, which is fantastic, was um, – and I believe this was a female firefighter drone pilot in France flying the uh, Notre Dame fire. Oh, wow. That's just recent. Yeah, and it was the drone that actually determined the point of making access to fight the fire to save it uh, or to prevent the fire from spreading to the rest of Notre Dame. No way. Wow. And what that did was they were able to visually see where to make the access, and then they used a robotic, uh, a robot called Colossus 
that took a heavy stream in place that used to stop the fire from that spread. So you had two pieces of technology which played a huge role in going forward. So from structure fires to wildfires, I mean, the other thing that we're seeing, wildfire assessment damages and integration into GIS and dashboards have been happening out in California. We have a guy named Greg Kretzinger on our board who helped to do some of the dashboards that show before and after shots that capture hover – or not hover, but hangar 360 high-resolution views that they can put on the map so the emergency managers can go in at any time and click on those and do a 360 view and zoom in as just to see how bad the destruction was. And now we're seeing augmented reality lay over top of that, and what, when that becomes really critical, hurricanes, tornadoes, and wildfires that destroy all your geo-references now have the augmented reality, reality of street lines, street center lines that lay over top of that to give you guidance when you're flying so you know where you are. So, I mean, it's it's amazing. And then we're seeing the, the use of LIDAR technology of being able to do assessments of ground, of the ground in areas around airports. And in the tethered drones now, we're seeing uh, Pierce Manufacturing has just come out with what they call their situational awareness package where a drone can operate either out of a compartment that it opens up and puts the drone up or can operate directly off the fire apparatus. And, and give an immediate view to incident commanders uh, as they monitor the fire through the progress. And the tethered drone means it can continue to fly until they want it to come down. I, I'm just shaking my head right now, sort of in disbelief and just uh, almost amusement because you, you said that you had, a tr- you had trouble putting together a presentation of all the different use cases that you know drones are being used for good right now. And I think year by year, you're going to have a harder and harder time with that because <laughs> this is just, I mean, drones are being used for different purposes every, almost every single day. There's a new use case. Well, we're seeing it for prison security. We're seeing it used to zip line is doing some work, great, great work over in Africa of delivering medical supplies directly from one location to another. Uh, we're having the idea of deliveries of uh, defibrillators uh, to a person having a cardiac arrest out in the open areas where there isn't one. There's tra- there's transportation of organs between medical facilities. And then there's in, in Chula Vista, California, this is probably one of the, the most innovative things is they're doing uh, what they call drone as a responder. And I think they've now since October of last year dispatched 800 calls immediately from dispatch that fly over the incident and are usually on the scene in an average of 115 seconds from the call, uh, monitoring the activity. And in a lot of cases, it can determine, do they need a ground unit? And there's been numerous cases where they've been able to free up a ground unit that wasn't necessary. And there are situations where they didn't have a ground unit coming, that they determined it was a priority and got a response there. So it's, it's creating a huge return on investment of making your department more effective by being able to fly over and monitor and see what's needed. So, and that's immediately from dispatch flown autonomously and beyond visual line of sight because they have one of the first few beyond visual line of sight waivers and operations over people in um, through the IPP in uh, San Diego. Right. I got to speak with Andrew Harrison Pierce, and he's actually one of the the lead directors for that program. And it's just, it's just amazing what I mean. There's a lot of backlash sometimes in the FAA saying that they're going too slow and everything, but they've really come a long way in opening the pathways to being able to afford us the opportunity as drone developers and different industry leaders to really pave the way ahead of what's possible with with drones and UAS. And just those examples that you've given me today are examples of exactly what we can do. And it's just really exciting to just think about where we'll be maybe one, two, three years from now. Well, and, and our own Mid-Atlantic Aviation Partnership, which is one of the, the FAA UAS test sites and, and part of the IPP, 
uh, did some work with State Farm to get uh, four beyond visual line of sight flight operations over people for four states following one of the hurricanes. So, yeah, we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg. And, you know, I think what was good, it was really good for me is uh, Tracy Tynan, who's the director for the Virginia Center for Innovative Technologies, Unmanned Systems, came out and said, you know, uh, as far as drones go, we've gone from the art of the possible to the art of the actual. Right. And it's it's happening before our very eyes. As new payloads and thermal technologies continue to develop and all technologies associated with the drones, for, for that matter – you have those cameras that can even detect human heat signatures behind walls. I can only imagine that drones within fire response or, or any situation, it's going to become more and more commonplace as we talked about. Have you personally seen this sort of shift of unmanned standardization across the board amongst the majority of emergency response organizations? And if not, what do you think is holding back organizations from buying into what drone technology can do? Uh, so here I will tell you that what I've seen, and I'll explain it more in detail, is we've gone from departments that have started programs as a nice to have, have transitioned to a need to have. Wow. Um, and what we've seen happen over the years is that uh, departments start over the past two years. This is an observation. Uh, they start small and they have a certain number of missions that they've planned. They've, they've thought through some of what they were there, but they really didn't know what to expect. After they had the first couple of successful missions, guess what happens? They get hungry for more. <laughs> now, other agencies start saying, hey, can you do this for us? Can you do that for us? Can you do this? And suddenly the missions start to expand. Suddenly – the missions are increasing in number, and now we realize that all these agencies, the remote pilots that they have, their duties, these are collateral duties. Right, and that's and where so, the need for, for training and standardization really pops up. Absolutely, because there's training and then there's ongoing training. There's those two things that still have yet to be defined as what they should look like. But what happened then is it starts demanding more time than they planned. And then the missions have evolved to the where they need to have a different aircraft. And now it's starting to get expensive because we're looking at something higher and better. We're having to spend more time on overtime. We're spending more time in training. We have more things to take care of as far as our fleet goes. And then when I was in Texas in a public safety U.S. summit, they said, uh, there's one thing you missed, chief. And I said, what's that? And they <laughs> said, well – uh, now we're having trouble, those of us in Texas, even to coming to this Texas Public Safety UAS Summit. And I said, well, why? Don't they understand the need? They said, oh, yeah, no, they understand the need. They're just afraid they might need us to fly. So they don't want us to leave. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's that transition of need to have, nice to have. Right. Um, which one of the things that, that I said early on that I recognize is, okay, if we take the military example, there are very few missions – Prior to, during, or after a mission that the military doesn't have drone reconnaissance. Yep. Been there, done that. We're probably really similar in nature. So if we think about that, I recommended early on that people really consider a multidiscipline regional team that allows you to share all these burdens. It shares the cost of aircraft. It shares the remote pilots. It shares the time that's required to fly you know, so and it shares the the cost of aircraft. So you can you can have more versatility and more capability with less of a demand on your department. And I think a lot of agencies are starting to see that. And you know, one example of one of the great early adopters uh, is Alameda County Sheriff's Office. Uh, Tom Madigan, who's a commander and on our board as well. I think they're flying every day now uh, for one thing or another, and uh, and they've just got a phenomenal program. 
in some ways, it, it sounds like exactly what drone responders is doing, right? Is creating that legion of, of I guess, drone first responders across the country to, to have, I guess, access across the board, regardless of where a situation pops up. It is. And it's, uh, you know, what we're trying to do now is we're trying to do what I call the three C's is to create a way to communicate, to coordinate and collaborate amongst us. Because like I say, if we've got the resource center, if we can get your policies and procedures online, if somebody has, uh, we want to create work groups, specialized work groups that are actually working on, you know, how, how do they do, you do hazmat? How do you do search and rescue and, and all those things? And, and we just, um, Added a young lady from uh, England to our board. Uh, I can't know if it's Gemma or Gemma uh, Alcock, and she is a quote unquote skybound rescuer. And and from the women in drones, she's one of the top women in drones to watch. So she's doing a lot of things, and she's supposed to release an optimization study about the use of UAS in search and rescue. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing more about that. But yeah, it's it's creating this collective that says, "What do you know? Let's share it." Yeah. And uh, and that's really as a whole what's what has been and will continue pushing this industry forward is collaboration. That is the key ingredient right there. And and one of the things drone responders is doing a little bit different is we're actually trying to look at this strategically and try to have two meetings per year at least where we start looking at where are we, where we want to go, and how do we get there. So that we create some three objectives, which also links us uh, in the areas of, of operations and training as well as uh, – between the different organizations that are out there so that we start looking holistically, how do we, how do we maximize what we're doing? I, I never will forget. I got a federal agency that reached out to me and said, Hey, listen, got some money to do some research on what's next for drones. And I said, could I have some research money on what's now for drones? <laughs> uh, right. Because we're not capturing this stuff. We're not putting it into documents. We're not, we don't have curriculums established. Um, and we're not, we're, we're probably tapping 10% of what public safety could be doing with drones because uh, we just don't know what we don't know. That's right. And you, you mentioned events. I, I saw on your website that there is an upcoming drone responders public safety summit. Who all is involved with that and why would you encourage those within the industry to attend? Well, it's going to be the Commercial UAV Expo October 29th and 30th. And we would urge anybody that's involved with public safety drones and, and, and maybe not just public safety. If you've got drones and capabilities that public safety could benefit from, think about that. But it's public safety, all disciplines, again, government, non-government organizations, academia and industry, because it's really about all of us coming together to do that. And the first day is going to be content. Uh, the second day is going to be that strategic discussion of what are what are our directions forward? What are the three top objectives? And let's start creating some marching orders that everybody can can work with. Yeah, I, I was at a, a charity event this weekend, and the the main takeaway from one of the speakers was you've it's one thing to learn something, what you've got to do with that is apply it, and application creates transformation. And I think that applies just as steadily with the drone industry as well. You're absolutely right. You uh, you learn by doing. That's you know, Benjamin Franklin said that, you know, <laughs> and, and it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you see it, you learn something, when you write it, you learn more. And when you do it, you really learn it. Right. And that's, that's where the transformation happens. What has been, as we wrap this up, I'm going to get to the, the heart of your, your passion for this organization. What has been the most rewarding part of watching drone responders grow in size and influence? And what is your dream for the organization? It's mission for the future. What I have seen is is this exciting coming together of energy, people wanting to move this forward and to be part of something bigger than themselves. None of us can do anything alone. 
but collectively we can do a lot. And what I've seen is the benefits in drones for good and drones that save lives. It's phenomenal to see the transformation it's taking in public safety because one, it's enhancing safety for the responders, but it's also enhancing operational effectiveness and efficiencies. So we get better at what we do and and we're able to make significant differences. I mean, in these, these horrendous uh, disasters that we've experienced, drones have played a pivotal role in making a difference. And again, we've only seen 10% of it. My dream is that we can continue to grow this till we get everybody involved and we have the, the best collective moving forward and continue to create a dynamic conversation as this, this continues to transform. And as we go this urban mobility, it's going to be crazy. We're going to start having vehicles that can be used for air ambulances. And I I even envision that there's an air vehicle that's flying above a fire. It's an operational uh, coordination from above. And and the list goes on. It's just really exciting, really exciting to think about what's possible. So for those interested in helping and joining the cause of drone responders, how can they get involved and how is drone responders funded? Is there any way that people can get involved with getting you guys funded? Uh, so the way they can get involved is go to droneresponders.org and join. Uh, it's relatively fr- – it's free uh, and it's relatively simple. And there are a few questions that ask to find out a little bit about you so we can understand what you know what the membership looks like so we can better understand the needs. Most of our funding right now comes from sponsorships and we're starting to see a lot of companies that are stepping up and um, and we've got a lot that we're talking to right now that are very interested in helping move this along. Awesome. It sounds like you guys are on definitely – a very stable pathway for success for the future. And that's, that's really exciting. It is exciting. And, uh, and I really appreciate the opportunity for me to come on here and tell the story and uh, for you to help get the word out. Yeah. And that's, that's my mission is just to promote the drones for good. Well, Charles, I want to thank you again, not only for being on this podcast, but also for your service as a firefighter and really also your service to this industry as a whole. Thanks to your efforts in building up drone responders, the drone industry, we now have further credence as a viable and beneficial resource for the betterment of all people. And that wouldn't be possible without people like you. So thank you, and I wish you great success as you move forward with your mission. With that, do you have any closing comments? No, I would. I mean, yes, I, I would like to say thanks to everyone out there uh, in public safety, uh, those of you that are sponsoring us currently and those of you that are thinking about it, uh, and people all around public safety, government, academia, non-government, and industry, join drone responders. Let's change the world. Let's do it. Well, thanks to everyone for listening to this week's episode of Unmanned Uncovered. Again, this is Stephen Gloss, your host, a drone subject matter expert, consultant, content creator, and instructor for consorting, an organization purposed to help you and your organization fly drones safely with training and software. Want to learn more about how drones can improve your business? Reach out to me and my partners at Consorting, and we'll show you the way. Remember that Unmanned Uncovered is available on Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe so you can stay updated on the latest releases and download episodes to take with you wherever you go. And don't forget to check out my Facebook page by searching for Unmanned Uncovered, like the page, and follow me on my search week by week for the drone industry's most intriguing profiles. I'd love to hear your feedback and recommendations for these and future episodes, so feel free to leave comments or questions via Facebook or LinkedIn. I'm also always looking for candidates to interview for future episodes, so if you or someone you know might be interested, be sure to reach out. That's all for this week's episode. Stay tuned for next week's edition. And until next time, safe flying, everyone.